This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. It is Friday, the 11th of August today, and very excited to be welcoming back uh, a previous guest from our Teachers Talk Radio. We have got the amazing American educator, Aaron Burden. Good morning, Aaron. I can see he's here in the studio uh, and he'll be joining us shortly. So if you haven't uh, listened into my show before, my name is Poppy Gibson. I was a primary school teacher. I'm now a lecturer at university where I help uh, hopefully inspire and teach the next generation of primary school teachers. Uh, But really excitingly today, we have got Aaron here with us to hopefully make some comparisons, think about what's going on overseas in America compared to here in the UK. So good morning, Aaron. Good morning. How are you doing, Bobby? I'm so good, thank you. How are you? Um, hang on just a second as I take another good swig of coffee. <laughs> Tell me, what time is it over there? Yeah, it, it's only it's 6 a.m. It's not too bad for us teachers, you know. I mean, granted, it's 6 a.m. Well, Aaron, we really appreciate you being here at 6 a.m. USA time. So thank you so much. Obviously, you're a dedicated educator. What can I say? Right. Exactly. Exactly. We do We do it for the love. We certainly don't do it for the pay, do we? <laughs> exactly. That's it. It's for the love. Um, so also, good morning. So we've got lots of listeners here this morning. We've got Carl. Good morning. Um Everyone that is listening in here on Teachers Talk Radio, do remember you can write, good morning, Paul, you can write in the chat if you're listening on Podbean. If any questions for Aaron come up, uh, type them in the chat and we can share them with him. Uh, Otherwise, if you're listening back, unfortunately, you can't. But I'm sure at the end of the show, we'll ask Aaron where you can find him on socials if you want to carry on these conversations. So to start with Aaron, for anyone who's not uh, heard from you before, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Maybe tell us about your education journey and what you currently do. Absolutely. Well, I have been teaching uh, elementary school, which is, I guess, primary school in the UK that um, I've been teaching third grade, mostly in the United States for about 10 years. I also was a uh, graduate assistant at Old Dominion University um, in the Department of Education for about four years, in addition to being a teacher. And I also am currently uh, a host of two podcasts on YouTube, uh, one dedicated to mental health called Mental Health Mondays, as well as one called The Educators Podcast, of which I had a very fantastic guest at one point, uh, Dr. Bobby (laughs) Gibson. (laughs) <laughs> what a great, fabulous chat! It was splendid. It was fantastic, and um, a lot of a lot of cool a lot of cool uh, stories that were shared. Uh, particularly, I, I really like the story you said you, where you shared about um, having your 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 students uh, sing in sign language to a, a parent who was hearing impaired. That was fantastic. Can, oh, can I love that you remember okay? that. Um, someone's saying you're a little bit quiet. Uh, I don't know if you can turn up your volume at all, Aaron. Can you hear me now? Am I coming in now? Yeah, actually, that might be better. That might be better. If anyone's in the chat, let us know. But, um, Aaron, it certainly sounds like you like to be busy, so it doesn't really surprise me that you're here at uh, 6 a.m. your time. (laughs) It sounds like you like to. Yeah, I I need to. uh... Maybe I need to get a little more sleep uh, in here and there, but it's it's all good. 
<laughs> well, you, is is school on in America at the moment, or you're on holiday? No, well, it, it's a mix. Um, there are some t- some school districts are already going back. Um, we don't go back. Well, teacher work week starts around the twenty second, um, and then the kids come back the following week. But then this is weird because they come back for about four days, then they're gone for about four days. And then they come back. So it's basically those first four days, anything we teach them, it's going to be like restarting when they come back. Wait, so so let me get this straight. You don't quite have the, the six-week break that we get here in the UK then? No, no. We, we, well, we do. We, it's weird because each district is different. And I, there, there isn't really – it really is uh, dependent on the districts, not even the states where they, there's some dis- school districts that will end right at uh, Memorial Day, but they'll pick up like the first couple weeks of August. And then there's Virginia Beach schools, which I'm a part of, where we go all the way to about the third week of June. Okay. And we end in the third week of June, but then we don't go back until like the last last little part of August. But Oh, so so you did you didn't teach in July? You you didn't have classes in July over there? No, no, we have a we have a summer break of of roughly two months. And wow, uh, okay, okay. So yeah, so you you finish earlier than us, and I guess that explains then why you go back earlier. Yeah, we we go back uh, we go back earlier. Plus the uh, the summer is typically filled with uh, professional development. Really. Yeah, we, we uh, what, like what? What have, what have you been doing? Tell us what you've been up well, to. Well, there's professional development. Um, a lot of the stuff it really depends on, and a lot of times it's whatever the like the hot topic is of the of the year. Like uh, there's topics on um, sh- like on shifting your teaching styles. There are some really cool things like um, focusing more on project based project based learning, which I actually really like. Uh, shifting things to where. Um, you, you provide the scaffolding and you know, we're, we're shifting away from the lecture regurgitation uh, type of teaching where you mm-hmm. you go, okay, this is the, you spend like, you spend almost 40 minutes doing a, a whole group lesson and th- before the kids really get their hands in. Now it's like you do a quick five minute uh, intro and then you get the kids learning and sometimes you mm-hmm, don't even mm-hmm. do that intro. You just get the kids hands on first and let them explore, and then as they're as they're exploring, that's where the teaching takes place. I love that. I love that. And I think, yeah, the, the good teachers here in the UK are doing the same, whereas we always thought you had to have 15 minutes introduction or whatever. Um, but but wait, so I want to pick up on that. So, so all this kind of extra learning that you do, is it compulsory? Like, because the, if, you, if you're a UK educator, you know, at the moment we're trying to say, like, when you finish, which is normally... I think this year was the 21st of July. All our schools pretty much finished that date, um, unless they're private schools. Then we're like, don't do anything. Don't go to school until you're back. Our schools go back 5th of September. So there's a big push here in the UK for teachers to try and not do anything school related. So this seems baffling to me. Like, do you have to do it? Is it optional? Like you want to do it? Or is anyone checking that you do it? It, it's optional, um, and I put that in air quotes. Um, part of part of your um, now they did shift this a little bit differently, but the uh, part of you know, getting your recertification as a teacher is you have to have a certain number of professional professional development points, 
and there's there are several options of how you can get those points but the um the main way is is taking professional development classes now then there are mandatory classes uh, which are typically there's usually three or four mandatory classes on updates to the curriculum but those those classes are usually like you'll have a like we took a there's a math one where we talk about the updates in the math curriculum and then there's a language arts oriented one and then there's a science and social studies one but all mm-hmm. of those all of those uh, professional development classes they tend to have the same message like what like in this case it's it's a focus on letting the kids do more exploring um, with language arts it was a lot more they're shifting now which I, 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 you know, I'm still kind of wrapping my head around, but we're pulling away from, from guided reading and going more hardcore with word study. And I, I've always been of a, I, I personally have always been a philosophy of a, of the philosophy that you, you really want to build good readers. You want them to get excited about books and, and, and guided mm-hmm. reading, I feel like is, is, is really effective in that um, word study <clears throat> is helpful, but the, the students I teach, I teach at third grade. Those are usually typically nine and 10 year olds. And that's the age, you know, if you look at Erickson, that's that age where they're kind of, they're leaving that learning to read space and they're kind of getting into that mm-hmm. reading to learn space. And I think that I, I just feel like if we completely turn away from guided reading, we're going to we're going to disenfranchise kids from wanting to read. Interesting, because you know what? I think any UK teachers listening, depending on their school, might have very mixed views on guided reading. Honestly, yeah. Aaron, I can, I can tell you when I remember when I was a teacher and in one school, you, you could only read the set book that was set for your group on on this week and you know some of the books were so dry like really dry (laughs) you know you had to read this this fact book about something and oh i think you're right you're going to lose the the love of reading yeah exactly and that that's where i i also this is um i don't want to be controversial um, but I think it's important, and and I w- and I will say this that Virginia Beach Schools has allows a bit of flexibility with their teachers now, where in the past they haven't. Um, mm-hmm. They won't officially say this, but it's kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. If if you um, and it depends on really your administrator too. If you have a principal that that supports you, then you're in good shape. But if you have a principal that's that's not supportive, it's a different story. But um, principal we have at our school is very supportive and she understands that you, you gotta you gotta interest the kids you know no mm-hmm. the kids don't want to hear about um, uncle uncle Barry's uh, farm farm goats or something if they're not into that they much rather read you know Diary of a Wimpy Kid or you know the radioactive underpants or you know the, those <laughs> kind of books and what's cool is you can, a lot of these lessons, you can plug in. An effective teacher can plug in much more interesting books and stories. Um, I also like to write um, in my spare time, and, and I enjoy creating stories that in, include the kids. Um, oh, I love that. Writing, I love in teaching writing. I let the kids go crazy. I like, we, we ended up writing a story about this mutant, uh, 
piece of cheese that chased all the kids <laughs> in the in the cafeteria. And I mean, it was a collaboration with the other students, but the kids loved it and they got into it. And I think I think that really touches on when a lot of kids don't like something. I think a lot of times it's because they feel it has to fit in this box that we mm-hmm. create the boxes as, as educators and in the curriculum we're creating this box that it really doesn't need to fit in. If mm-hmm. you follow my meaning, you know, we can, yeah. we can, we, I think it's important for teachers to go rogue, um, you know, kind of. But within kind of, a bigger box, yes. <laughs> go, yeah. go rogue within the bigger box, but try and not make smaller boxes. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and keep this, keep the student's best interest in mind. I feel like as long as what you're doing is ultimately keeping the student's best interest at, at heart, then that's mm-hmm. that's what I think is important. Is as long as you're keeping what's what's the students' interests are and keeping their attention. Because let's be honest, nowadays it's crazy trying to keep. You're competing with um, kids now are raised on social media, so you're you're competing yeah. with that. You're competing with Among Us, Fortnite. You're competing with anime, manga. You're competing with TikTok. You're competing with all these distractions. And you've got to somehow make Jamestown history uh, enter- entertaining and interesting to them. You've, or you've got to make, you know, you know, you got to make uh, you know, solids, liquids, and gases inter- entertaining. You got to, you got to really be um, Bill Nye. And I, and I think it really comes down to that a lot of, a lot of people don't realize what teachers have to be in one yeah. given day. We're not just yeah. sitting there regurgitating a lesson. We're also their parents for most of that day. We're also their nurses, their doctors. We're also a game show host. We're, we're, we're doing all these things. We've got all these plates spinning. And that's just if, the, if everything goes fine. Mm-hmm. When you get that kid with the bloody nose or there's a fight that you have to, you have to be psychologist now. You have to, there's so many things that teachers have to do. And, and I, I really wish that more more of society understood that because there's a lot there's a lot that teachers go yeah. through and we, we definitely do it for the love it's a lot it's a lot and yeah we do it for the love and and that's why just backtracking a bit to what you were saying at the start of the show for for people just joining us it really surprised me that there's this culture for you in the USA to to keep training and upskilling over the summer because like I say like we're trying to do a big push here in the UK like once you finish term you know you shouldn't be in class doing your display boards like take a break and it's been it's been really great actually on social media I've seen a lot of UK teachers like I'm on holiday or even if you know at the moment we've got cost of living crisis even if you can't go abroad I'm seeing people like I'm going to read these five fiction books before I go back to work and like people just having space and so Another thing I want to ask you about, Aaron, there. So you mentioned that in in America, you have to um, do extra courses and training for yourself to get your, did you say recertification, reaccreditation? Yeah, recertification, yes. So so what is that? Because here in the UK, once you get qualified teacher status, that's it. You're good to go. You never have to. So so what's what's this mean? Like you have another, you have to keep upskilling. Otherwise, you can't be a teacher. Like. What is well, it? yeah, it, it's it, it used to be every five years now, and again, it's it's state. There's state specifics. There's district specifics. Like, and you might be certified in a, um, you might be certified in one state. Now, some states like Virginia, 
you get certified in the state of Virginia, you pretty much, that counts everywhere. If it, but there's some places where your certification only is specific to that state. And it's so like if you move to North Carolina from like Ohio, you might have to get recertified and take more classes. Um, I'm with you. I think that especially the calling of a teacher is such that I think if you chose this profession, um, I, once you're once you're certified as a teacher, I think that should that should be that should be it. I mean, you know, yes, you need to, to. They want to push professional development, but I think a mm-hmm. lot of it is they want to make sure that we're we're keeping keeping pace with how education is evolving. But what typically happens is it's almost like it becomes this um, change for the sake of change. Sometimes, like we uh, we'll change this, we'll change a um, like we went from using Google Classroom to Schoology, and then we went from Schoology to Canvas. And these are all learning platforms. These are like how we would distribute work. And during the pandemic, um, we switched to Schoology, and so all the teachers in our school district had to relearn an entire way of sending on assignments and homework mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. sending assignments through to the students digitally right in the middle of the pandemic when we're shut down. And that was, that was a nightmare to overhaul that. So there's, there's sometimes feel, I feel like we're, we're making changes for the sake of making changes. But, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of times, and this is just, you know, me, from a personal standpoint, a lot of times what we're learning is stuff we're already doing. There's very few times where we're learning, like there's like a new little t- thing like, oh, that's, that's it. I'm going to try that. Occasionally that happens. But a lot of this stuff is just repackaged what we've, what we've already learned. A, a little funny mm-hmm. side note. I uh, was cleaning up, I was cleaning out uh, my, my closet here doing some spring cleaning. And I came across my third grade report card. From, oh my gosh! What, so what's third grade? How how old's what's uh, third grade? Nine and ten years old. That's that's nine and ten years old level. Okay, so it seems like year five for us in the UK. Okay, and what uh, did it say? What did it say, Aaron? Well, I mean, I I need to work on my handwriting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it important. The, the comments were really funny because it and one it fit me. He was like, "Oh, he's a dreamer. He needs to stay focused," and you know. I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, this describes half my class. And then, um, <laughs> and then the other, like, like, he's a, like the one was funny too, is my third grade teacher. I didn't realize how stressed I made her. I, I thought she liked me and I think she did. <laughs> I think she did. But like she said, Aaron is a very interesting young lad. And I was like, <laughs> interesting. He's, he's, he has some very interesting ideas. And I was thinking like, what was I saying back then that made me, did I, was I the strange kid? But the other thing I thought that was interesting was a lot of the wording that she used in her comments um, were, are stuff that I hear now that's like, is the same kind of wording that is being presented to us as if it's brand new. Um, mm-hmm. Like we have a thing that there's a program in the United States called PBIS, which is, um, it, it's based positive, behavior intervention uh strategies and it when you it sounds it's this this new thing that they're pushing and it's this new solution it's like this magic pill that's gonna you know make behaviors better in Mm -hmm. schools but 
when you really look into it, it's everything we've learned is anybody that's a behaviorist, anybody that studies Skinner, you know, it's basics. It's positive reinforcement. It's, you know, focusing on the desired behaviors, but it's, it's kind of repackaged as this new thing. Plus, anybody that's an educator knows there's no magic pill for behavior control for anything. But yeah, it's exactly. just kind of interesting how it, it, it's packaged as this new thing. Plus, uh, some, and again, this is, I don't know if this will ever change, but you know how it can be sometimes when administrators get an idea and they don't fully understand it, but they kind of roll it out to teachers and say, hey, here's this new idea. And then we have to kind of manage it. And I, I think that one of the mistakes that we make is, yes, you want to focus on the positive, but you don't want to sacrifice the structure of your behavior system. Mm -hmm, and there's mm -hmm. a big push in the United States to reduce referrals to the office, reduce behavior referrals. But what that's causing, it's causing a lot of principals to deter their their teachers from writing referrals even if the student needs it and what's happening is it's really kind of it's kind of putting teachers in a tough spot i personally haven't really had behavior issues but um i've had some kids that i, I really wanted to send to the office because i just wanted to like you know hey get out of here buddy you're you're driving me nuts but I feel like there is a lot to PBIS, and if you got if you find what really makes these kids tick, and you find mm -hmm. what really what they're if students feel safe and appreciated in your class, typically you're going they're going to want to be there. Yeah, now it doesn't definitely. mean you're not going to be without issues. I had to step in between two kids that were going to um, go to go to fish if I didn't, but yeah, you know, I think part of it is creating that community, but. What I think, I think sometimes though the, the the philosophy is the absence of referrals means the absence of problems, and that's not it. Exactly, exactly, and and I think you're right, Aaron. I think you, it's all about fostering that culture of you know communication with your pupils, of that mutual respect, and and then you know that when there is that issue, you know that there's an anger issue, there's a behavior issue, then you really know that there's a need there that isn't being met. Like it's not to do with. Uh, the space they're in it's something else and I think back to what you said at the start Aaron like we have to have the children's best interests at heart and the UK is the same we see so many things repackaged over time like the amount of things I've seen like obviously I was I was teaching for 11 years now lecturing for six but I I see like my my current like trainee teachers would be like oh yeah there's this new idea and I look at it I'm like no way like I was doing that like 20 years ago or whatever like this isn't new it's been repackaged but but also, where, where's that line? And I think your administrators sound a bit different. I don't think we have administrators in that way. But often, yeah, there might be management in the school, you know, your senior leadership team who have, have brought in a new uh, scheme or something. And, and it's kind of thinking, but where is the scheme valuable? But where is actually your teacher's wealth of experience? Like, you've got a staff here with so much experience. And and I think that's where our, our, our recertification comes. Like, everything you're doing every single day is upskilling you, right? <laughs> So that just, yeah. it just seems crazy to me. Like, so, so tell me a bit more. I'm sorry to keep going about the, the recertification, but so you said maybe every five years you have to, in the USA, you do like an exam or what you said, you earn points for um, yeah. like courses. You earn, you earn points by taking courses. There's a, there, 
there are different things you can do. There's like a there's like a menu of what you can do. There's there's always going to be at least several hours of mandatory of mandatory professional development, and that's usually whatever they're rolling out new and like, hey, this is the thing you need to learn how to do. But then there's also you need a certain number of points of of hours to um, in addition to that. Um, and that, and those are almost like the equivalent of like electives. But um, as I was all as the robotics mentor for our robotics club, I was able to uh, get a couple of those, you know, when I would take my training courses for robotics. Um, but you could choose like, hey, um, I want to get better at learning how to do uh, make how to make podcasts. or I want to learn how to mm-hmm. um, make videos or I want to learn how and use them in the classroom um, one of the classes I took, which I couldn't believe this was even on the menu, but I took a Minecraft education class, and that opened such a huge door for me because then I became wow. known as the Minecraft teacher. Um, I don't know if you noticed in my picture, I've got my robot, uh, Mr. Creeper, with me. He was my yes. teacher. Yes, <laughs> I love that picture. And um, he's, he's a, for those who don't know, he's, he, uh, creepers are these notorious creatures in the Minecraft game that will blow up your house if they get too close to you. But, um, you know, kids are, and kids are still into Minecraft. It's, you know, they're more into, I guess, Roblox is one of their new favorite things, but when they came out with an education edition, it's essentially Minecraft, but you can, as a teacher, you can create um, built-in lessons. I mean, and it, you can do so much with it. You can, um, like, for example, what we, uh, in third grade, we, uh, for social studies, we, we, we uh, learn about the five different civilizations. We learn of ancient civilizations. We learn about Egypt, China, ancient Rome, ancient Greece, and the Empire Mali. Mm-hmm. And each of those, I uh, tied in a, a Minecraft project for the kids. And they would, they would, um, you know, they would, in a rotation, they would spend 20 minutes a day working together on a project. And for Egypt, I had a challenge where they had to build their own pyramid. And they had the math dimensions, they had to figure out how much, uh, how much uh, sandstone they needed to build this pyramid. They had to, and they they had to make sure there was some kind of tomb on the inside to to mirror how the tombs were. As a class, we built our own version of the Great Wall of China, and mm-hmm. in nice. ancient Rome, we built a working aqueduct where wow from the mountain to bring water down to the city, and it was really cool. So, and again, it's this is Minecraft. You know that what a lot of people see it's this blocky character running around, but the kids love it. It was interactive. And um, that's the stuff. When you find those kind of activities that really get the kids excited, um, they want, they jump out of bed. They want to come to school. They mm-hmm. don't want, they, they don't feel like that they're in jail for eight hours a day. <laughs> exactly. I think it's back to what you're saying, Aaron, earlier that although we, we do have some boundaries, you know, and, and boxes, and hoops to jump through as educators, like within our own space, we can be creative. So that feels super cool. And I'm, I'm glad that that course was useful. I, um, Aaron, we're halfway through the show. <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm just time flies when I talk to you. So what I'm gonna do, uh, don't go away everyone that's listening. I'm gonna play the news and we'll be back in just under six minutes. Um, and in the second half, Aaron, I'm really gonna pick your brains about critical thinking in the yes. classroom. Does that sound good? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, go grab a um, cup of Job 
Is that what you call it in America? Cup of mud. <laughs> Cup of mud. Okay, you go do that and we'll be back in about six minutes. <laughs> it, it's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. With exam results looming for students from all four home nations and around the world, Schools Week features an article concentrating on the ongoing impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. The article, written by a head teacher, says we need to continue to consider the additional burden of the pandemic. It reminds us that this year's Year 13s were part of a cohort who didn't sit GCSE exams, and that this year's Year 11s were in Year 8 when lockdowns began, although the start of GCSE was supposed to be a return to normal for these students. Teachers too faced the challenge of a return to normal content, having had it reduced over the last two years. ECTs also needed some increased support in delivering the broader content for a number of GCSEs. Workload for pupils and teachers shifted and perhaps increased as schools tried to find the right balance of support, revision and basic content coverage by often offering after-school and holiday intervention sessions. Whatever happens for individuals on results days this year, the ghost of the pandemic, he says, has not disappeared just yet. The Guardian reports on new local government association research, which suggests council-maintained schools in England outperform academies in Ofsted ratings. The research found 93% of council-maintained schools were ranked good or outstanding by Ofsted as of the 31st of January 2023. This compared with 87% of academies that have been graded since they converted. The study also found only 57% of academies that were already an academy in August 2018 managed to improve standards from inadequate or requires improvement to good or outstanding, compared with 73% of council-maintained schools. The research has prompted many to question the evidence for a move away from council-maintained schools. Currently, 80% of secondary schools and 40% of primaries are academies. Councils were last able to open maintained schools in 2012. A Department for Education spokesperson said academy reforms have played a major role in increasing the proportion of good or outstanding schools. Mary Bowstead of the National Education Union said allowing local authorities to open new maintained schools would boost the ability to respond to demographic changes by opening quality provision. Whilst the research has been seen by many as a warning about the risks of government policy on academisation, some have pointed out that because schools who are failing are required to convert to academies, the numbers are always going to be skewed. A report by the Children's Commissioner shows that eating disorders such as bulimia, anorexia and binge eating are on the rise in England. 
Figures suggest that in the UK, an estimated 1.25 million have an eating disorder, but that young people under the age of 25 are disproportionately affected. The report points to NHS figures which it says show a large and recent increase in the numbers of hospital admissions for young people due to eating disorders, with almost half being for those under 25. Whilst the large majority of those affected are female, admissions of young men have more than doubled in the period from 2015-16 to 2020-21. However, according to the report, whilst the number of children and young people starting treatment has more than doubled, so have waiting times for the beginning of treatment. Urgent cases now take more than 12 weeks to begin. The report suggests that government need to tackle some of the drivers of disordered eating, including online content and forms of social media. In the USA, the Education Secretary, Miguel Cardona, says the Supreme Court decision to eliminate affirmative action may help to axe legacy and donor-based college admissions. The Guardian covers the story which focuses on the college admissions process across America. The wealthiest Americans, who are overwhelmingly white, benefit disproportionately from college admissions based on familial relations with alumni and school donors. Cardona praised colleges who have already stopped legacy admissions, including Wesleyan University, Johns Hopkins and Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He said these and other schools were making sure they're doing more for diversity than they were doing before the end of affirmative action. He did, however, make his criticism of the decision by the Supreme Court clear when he said that there are brown and black kids who are going to feel like they're not wanted. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, and I hope you all enjoyed the news today. Uh, This is the Friday morning break with me, Poppy Gibson, and we are joined from overseas, where I think it's only 6.34 over there. Welcome back, Aaron Burden. Yes, 6.34, and I have switched to Dr. Pepper instead of of coffee, but still, I'm getting my, my source of caffeine. But if you're a teacher, you know you have a good relationship with caffeine in some form. (laughs) <laughs> hopefully, hopefully a healthy one. <laughs> Keep yes, hydrated, yes. everyone. <laughs> well, yeah, the, uh, it's water the rest of the day. I, in fact, I used to have this big uh, giant. Uh, I would get, I would stop off at a place uh, at Sonic, and I would get like the giant Route 44, 44 ounce uh, tea in the morning, iced tea in the morning, and then I would throughout the rest of the day fill it with water. And so I had this big, giant 44-ounce water that I would have to try to drink. The problem with that is, as a teacher, you've got to, you, it's, you, when the bladder starts to uh, make itself <laughs> yeah. known, you've got to, you got to really manage that. We've, in our hallway, we actually managed to uh, have a, have a workout, a deal where if there was ever a bathroom emergency, we had it set, we knew when those times would kind of be, so we'd have the students on independent work and one teacher would kind of stand between classrooms and cover while the other teacher made a mad dash for the faculty <laughs> restroom. I mean, I, I love yeah. hearing that you that you would even uh, do that because I think sometimes as teachers, you're you're so worried about like, you know, meeting your own needs. You're, you're so worried about actually just making sure your pupils are okay that I remember like sometimes going days where, where I wasn't eating properly, wasn't going to the bathroom mm-hmm. when I needed to, and that's really not healthy. So that's that's good. You had yeah. a good partnership there. 
but that was that was a learning curve. I mean, that exact my first several years of teaching, my I'd say my first four years of teaching, I wouldn't eat at all, and then I'd be starving when I'd come home and just scarf food down. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas mm-hmm. I was able to pace the you know couple things to do sometimes just have a few emergency uh, granola bars in the drawer have a that's um, good, you know, it's have good some, advice. make sure yeah make sure you take that I think that is something important not just physically uh, but also mentally is you've got to find ways to maintain take care of yourself and you, you gotta it's not being selfish because even though sometimes I think we put guilt on ourselves as teachers and we shouldn't but you can only uh, a, a a pint can only hold a pint. It can't hold a gallon. And it, sometimes you got to know when to not burn yourself out. You got to know. You got to make sure you take care of your kids because ultimately, to take care of your needs. Because ultimately, if you don't, you're not going to be a hundred percent for those kids. And a exactly. lot of teachers get burnt out because you know I had a, I had a year last year where I was really sure I needed to take some time off because I was. I was so exhausted and it was, and I knew I couldn't be the awesome teacher I wanted to be. So I needed, mm-hmm. I knew I needed to take some time off to kind of get myself straight. And you, and, and I think it's important to do that. And if you have a school system or an administrator that understands that, then that's golden. Um, yeah. Some, some cases you don't. It's so true. And Aaron, what you're saying, like, you need to take care of yourself before you can properly take care of your pupils. And I, I love that advice about snacks. I remember when I was um, an early career teacher, like at the start of my career, and, you know, you get in early because you want to get everything ready. And so you probably haven't had a good breakfast. And then, yeah, you ha- you're not going to get a chance to even probably go to the staff room at break because you're setting up your lessons. Like having that emergency snack drawer, that is a great idea. And maybe, yeah, emergency drinks because, you know that when you know your sugar levels though and you're hungry you're already your body's already screaming out for you know nurturing so if we can at least do that make sure you've had a snack or yeah you can get like those energy bars and things can't you that's that's really good mm-hmm. advice for anyone listening yes. um so we've i can't we've only got 20 minutes left Aaron. i don't know how it goes so quick yeah. um but i know that when, when you and i were chatting before the show about ideas i really love that you wanted to talk a bit about critical thinking because even at university level where I, where I work now, we talk a lot with our adult students about what is critical thinking. We talk about critical reading, critical writing, critical thinking. So maybe we can just use this, this last 20 minutes to unpick a bit what that means for you as an educator in the US, like how you nurture that in your classroom. So, so first of all, like how would you personally define the term critical thinking? Well, I love this because, you know, we always come back to our why with teaching. Like, what is your why? Why did you get into teaching? What made you decide to become an educator? And first mm-hmm. of all, I don't think there was a choice. I think I fought it for several years <laughs> of careers, and I, I, it, it, it chose me. Like, I, you know, oh, I, I love like that. just clicked on. But the reason, like, my, my main reason for becoming a teacher is I, I was seeing a world that was becoming less and less filled with less and less critical thinking and a lot more knee-jerk reactions. And we could argue well, if, that, if that's always been the case, we just hear it more because of social media, what have you. But I wanted to make some kind of influence, even if it was just a small influence, of training our future students to become more critical thinkers and to become good listeners. I think mm-hmm. with critical thinking is... 
it's different than being it's not being like a conspiracy crazy nut or or being you know it's not being unresponsive to new ideas but being a critical thinker means don't don't just don't just take what you read or what you hear or what you see at face value step back let it digest and really just kind of take it through a thought process and that goes from everything from when you're teaching science when you i think you really need to look at the, the scientific method not just for science itself but for for i think for anything in life is and and what i wanted kids to understand and and, and this is something i've noticed when i've i've had chats with adults is i think a lot of times adults get we we tend to get emotionally attached to an idea or to mm-hmm. a, or or a a hypothesis you know we'll get emotionally attached to or well, it'll become part of our identity. Like, and you see that in politics, like a certain politician, you either really like them or you really hate them. And you become, that becomes part of your identity or or a sports team. In some cases, you know, you're, there's a sports team that you, that you're really far, you know, fired up about. But a lot of times that happens with ideas. Mm-hmm. And what we need to do is remember number one, if you later find out that your hypothesis is wrong, like for example, we had a uh, a project we were trying to determine. We had we had magnets, and we were trying to determine like what we could, what variable we could change to influence to make the magnets work better. And one of the kids said his his hypothesis was the red magnets were stronger than the blue magnets. Well, they were all the same magnet; they were just painted different colors. And some of the kids were like, that doesn't, you know, they were, they were chastising the kid for that. And I said, no, this is a great example of a hypothesis that got proven wrong, but mm-hmm. he wasn't wrong. Like that a good scientist is able to separate themselves from their hypothesis. Having your hypothesis proven wrong based on data doesn't make you wrong. You're only wrong if you don't, if you ignore data that mm-hmm. challenges your hypothesis. You got It's in the conclusion that you got to do that. And if you, and I hope I'm not losing y'all guys on this, but where that relates to life, if you have an idea about something, and whether it's about a person, about a social philosophy, about or whatever it is, and then you receive new data, you you, you need to be able to process, accept that new data, and go, oh, okay. I see it differently now. It doesn't make you wrong. And I think a lot of times people get very defensive when they have a, an idea about something and then new data comes along and they go and they, get, they, they almost turn away from that data because it's, it's making them feel wrong. And they're not. Yeah, and, and I think it makes sense. And I wonder if part of this is the way that we might see that our education system, it sounds like here in the UK and over there in USA, conditions children to feel like there's a right answer for everything. So, you know, yes. the way we do a lot of our standardized testing, you know, there's a right answer. It's not, it's not like one of the questions on our SATS paper is, you know, what's the meaning of life? You know, there's no <laughs> existential yeah. questions. They're all, you know, there is a right or wrong answer. You'll get one mark or two marks. So, so I think sometimes our fear of failure comes from almost that people pleasing that that we're conditioning oh, yes. in the classroom. So no, I, th- I think that's a really valid point. Yeah, seeing that that it was the the theory that was wrong, not the person that was wrong. So yeah, I like that. And 
And one thing that I was talking about earlier this week, actually, with my students, Aaron, like the role of artificial intelligence in our society. So yes. actually, the, we, were, we were saying one of the only things that, that robots will not be able to do is be human. They can literally do everything else, but they can't yes. be human. So, so then thinking, what can we do that they can't do? So that's why I think critical thinking is key. They can do everything. They, I mean, they can critically think in a robotic way, but how can we encourage our learners to critically think in a human way that, that has still got something else? I definitely feel there is some essence in being human that robots will never entirely have. Um, and so really the core of it is getting to that, isn't it? How are we preparing our learners for a society where robots can do everything? No, <laughs> what can we what right. can we bring to the table, right? Well you all you all you pretty much said it there is that the one thing that robots that AI can't do is be human. They're programmed by human humans, but they can't be human. And you hit the nail on the head there too. We are I mean, education's gonna have to change. It's always been evolving, but it's really going to have, we're really going to have to sit back and change how we, how we approach education. Because we, if you remember, you know, like we talked about, it used to be le lecture regurgitation and our standardized test, it was always like A, B, C, or D. And only, and only one of those four is correct or, <clears throat> but I feel like true edu kids really learn. I've always felt like the kids in my classroom got the most out of the lessons where we had an open discussion. And whether it was Socratic method, whether it was just like an open discussion and their input, like they had buy-in, their input, they were discussing. And sometimes the, the discussions went a completely different way. Like we were talking mm -hmm. about needs versus wants. And one of my students brought up that her grandmother in, in, in um, Puerto Rico was without power, but she needed her medicine refrigerated. And so she said that electricity is a, is a need. And then another student said, no, it's, it's a want. You don't, you don't, and it was this great debate. And I just stepped back and let the kids debate. And I think that's, that's huge. But the one thing I was trying to make sure of is to facilitate listening to each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we really, that, that's, that's understanding what it means to be human, understanding that we're all human. And I think a lot of times that's what gets lost in a lot of these conflicts with each other. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of race issues or, you know, gender issues or a lot of these issues where we're yelling at each other and we're not listening to each other. And I, mm -hmm. I think that regardless of what, regardless of your view of things, I think we all really deep down want the same things. We just are, have different ideas of how to get to that. And it, I feel like you know, learning how to properly communicate, put yourself in, in each other's shoes and really, really have that discussion. That's where learning takes place. You know, putting yourself in a disequilibrium and to learn, you know, you mm -hmm. can sit there and memorize a bunch of vocabulary words, but if you don't know how to use them in a sentence, or if you haven't practiced using those vocabulary words or truly understanding them in a discussion with somebody where you're trying to communicate to them what that means, are you really learning it or are you just memorizing? And I think that's, that's what will separate a, a true learning from just rote memorization being robots. Cause that's mm -hmm. the last thing we want the kids to do. Um, as far as exactly, AI, and we have we have robot we have robots to be robots, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so we need to be human. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
I'm a little controversial, I think, when it comes to the chat GPT. Um, you being a um, university professor, I think chat GPT is a tool. It's not going away. Um, what you need, I think we, when we're teaching writing to students, I think it's something, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when the word processor was invented, you know, handwriting became less and less of an issue when, when people were typing more. I think we should teach typing more in school. And of course, this goes back to my third grade report card where I was getting dinged for <laughs> handwriting. But, um, <laughs> but uh, I knew, I knew that, that you still like, had a grudge about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sore about that. That was my only C. Everything else was oh. A's and B's. But, you got uh, graded for handwriting. Yes, yes. Well, of all, and, I, and if you saw my handwriting, though, you, um, they even had me tested for, um, for, uh, for dyslexia or something, but I, I just was, I don't know. I was just, I was, I was an interesting kid, as my third grade teacher said. You, you knew was, you had a career in computing and robotics, and you wouldn't need yeah. to hold a pen. <laughs> oh yes, I did. Yes, I, yes, I, I did so already. But um, like ChatGPT, I've actually, I've actually used ChatGPT because, because I actually think it's helpful for kids and for adults too, as a overcoming the hardest part of writing to me the hardest part of writing creative writing what have you is that rough draft because once you get your rough draft the the, the writing process the, the rest of the process is so much easier because once you have something was it mark twain said um writing is easy just write everything and then get then delete the stuff you don't like you know, it's, 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 I think with ChatGPT, <clears throat> for those of you that aren't familiar with ChatGPT, that's the AI will write it for you. Mm -hmm. I've actually written story. I've had stories where I just say, Hey, write a story about blah, 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 blah. I put in enough information and then it spits out an example and then I'll go in and tweak it. And so many of my students, they have these great ideas, but they just don't know how to put them on paper. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> to me, Using ChatGP to teach writing as a training wheel is is important. Understanding it is a tool that you eventually will wean the kids off of because eventually they'll they get it's it's like modeling the writing for them, and then eventually they figure out their own pattern. They don't even need it. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it does. So that's totally good. So seeing that these things have benefits, but making sure our children don't become too reliable on them. And, yes. and so making sure, I guess, that they're learning the skills of using the tool, but also developing their own internal skills, right? Yes, yes. And, and, and I think understanding that in any form, AI is going to be a tool. You know, people thought, if you, we got to remember that people were afraid of the, of the steam engine. You know, back <laughs> yeah. when trains were invented, people were afraid if you go a certain miles per hour, your brain's going to pop out the back of your head. And that didn't happen. But I, I think it's, it really is how you manage it. It's like with any tool, yeah. how yeah. you manage it. Um, I, don't think, I don't think Skynet's going to be self-aware. I don't think Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to come see us. But I, I do think we do need to be careful more. I, think, I, I feel like AI is not the threat. It's the misuse of AI is going to be what we have to really be careful of. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think with with anything, any technology or or any you know any invention, if we 
don't use it safely, there's the potential for harm. So 100% agree. Um, Erin, I'm quickly going to play the advert from our sponsor and then I'll be back for the final five minutes of questions. <laughs> don't go anywhere. Whoosh. <laughs> it's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. So, Aaron, off the back of that advert, did you learn a language in school or, or is computing your language? Uh, yes and yes. Um, I actually <laughs> took four years of Spanish. Um, but Ooh, muy bien. <laughs> muy yeah, bien. Muy bien. Yeah, it, and what was funny about that was my um, my second job out of, out of college was I was a, um, I was a manager for a, a large um, group in I, at IBM in Research Triangle Park in uh, North Carolina. And I was I managed a group on the production floor. We, they made PCs. And a majority of my staff, uh, English was a second language, Spanish was their primary language. And in some cases, they barely spoke English at all. We had this really cool program where we, had, we, brought, in, uh, we brought in people from uh, Spanish-speaking countries on a work visa and it was like a trade-off they would get free english classes while they worked for us and so i had to really brush up on my spanish and they they had a nickname for me called el chico de la playa which i guess translates to the boy from the beach or the guy from the beach because at the time i had a really thick uh, virginia beach accent i was like yo soy su jefe bienvenidos uh let's Los otros trabajo and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And, and so, but it was funny, but they, they, uh, they appreciate it. Um, but you also make a really good point too about programming language. And that's something that I, I've, a lot of, a lot of students learn a lot of, a lot of folks know that programming languages is exactly that, you know, it sounds like, Oh, it's too much math, blah, blah, blah. But programming language is basically how you how you communicate to a machine to have the machine do what you want. And I love it because teaching programming is great because it helps you with structuring, um, you know, like uh, uh, when you're sequence of events. We always do this great lesson where I get the peanut butter uh, jar, of peanut butter, bread. Uh, a butter knife and jelly. Oh, I know so, the okay. al the old algorithm lesson. Yes, you, you know uh, most teachers. So, te so tell us, yeah, tell us for anyone who's who's not done the old jam sandwich. I love yeah. this lesson. Yeah, exactly. If, and and most of us have done this. If you haven't, this is it's really cool because you have the kids tell you, okay, we need to. Um, all right, I want you to tell me how to make a peanut butter and jam sandwich, and then they'll say, all right, well now you got to uh, take a piece of bread. And they say, put the peanut butter on the bread. So you take the jar of peanut butter and smash it on the bread. And they're like, no, 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 you got to open the bread. You got to open the, the jar. And so they, they realize that you have to break down everything that you want to do into these moves. And you can't, you can't make assumptions. And so, mm -hmm. and which again, kind of goes back to that AI 
uh, point that we were talking earlier is that, you know, AIs, you have to be specific when you're communicating with a machine or they're going to think, oh, the, this, the user wants me to put the jar on top of the bread. No, I want you to unscroop it and scoop some mm-hmm, peanut butter mm-hmm. out, and, and that, and I think, and that's such an important eye-opening lesson that the kids realize. Oh, I really have to be specific. Yeah, I th- honestly, I love that you know that lesson because when I was head of computing, that was my favorite lesson. <laughs> I think I, I think I saw it when I did a, I did a CPD training in London, and um, the guy really went to town. I think he called himself like the sandwich bot. And, and you know what you said at the start, yeah. like you need to be a performer. Like that was me. I was like, I'm going to embrace sandwich, but I'm going to run with this. And I remember like properly robot moves. Yeah. So much yes. fun. And, and, and that's it. like, back to what we were saying, like e- even away from the screen, it's about how we communicate. And I think yes. that's the great thing computing teaches us like, you know, we, we need to break things down. Any problem actually can be broken down into manageable pieces, right? And if we communicate, we can learn from others, collaborate. That That's the enjoyment of education, right? Absolutely. I, I, I Before we leave, I, I want everybody to look up Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis is an American jazz musician, and he does a lot of TED Talks now, but he was a jazz musician that in the, back in the 60s and 70s, he would travel with other musicians, and one time he traveled with a with a uh, a, a southern white gentleman uh, musician who happened to be a member of the Ku Klux Klan, which is in the United States. If you're familiar, very racist organization. They drove; they had to drive for eight hours. And Daryl Davis is a, is a black man, and in that drive, they had a long conversation and. It was one of those things where Daryl Davis, instead of getting all upset, he listened to the guy and asked him questions. By the end of that trip, he got the guy to quit the Ku Klux Klan, turn in his robes, and he because he, he actually he saw Daryl Davis, he realized how wrong he was in a lot of his thoughts. And Daryl Davis has now collected over 200 Ku Klux Klan hoods that he has gotten people wow. to quit the Ku Klux Klan. And it was from talking, getting people not, and that's where the other part of communication is. It's not just listening and like being able to communicate your thoughts, but when you really get people to try to communicate with you, two things happen. One, they either, they either reinforce their beliefs or they start to see the inconsistencies. Here's this guy that's supposed to hate Daryl Davis, but he's, he's enjoying this guy, the guy he's realizing this guy's smart. This guy mm-hmm. is is a friend. He's in, he's he's you know I enjoy this guy's company, and he starts to see the problems in his own thought process. And and I think and and, that, and that's just one example. But I think in society, I, I hope we really start to listen to each other and find out how much in common we really do have with each other, and we realize that a lot of our hate is really just ignorance of not mm-hmm. understanding each other's shoes, not understanding how, how we are with each other. And that's kind of where I want the kid, I want kids to realize, you know, to start communicating with each other and trying to get to know each other and trying to be critical thinkers and really see the, the commonalities we have with each other. Wow. Oh my gosh. Inspiring words on a Friday morning here, Aaron. I love yes. that. Yeah. It's just about listening challenging our thinking when I guess what we hear isn't what we thought we would hear or or what we're used to hearing 
and and being able to change our uh, our way of thinking wow amazing thank you for sharing that that story with us um i can't believe it's 12 o'clock here so that must mean 7 a.m your time yes <laughs> good morning <laughs> um but i'm afraid that means we're uh, we're out of time we'll um I'll, I'll make sure that you're tagged in all our posts on twitter from to talk radio aaron so people can follow you on twitter is that okay if they come yes. join you um, come come get involved wonderful and Aaron I just want to thank you so much for being up so early and coming and sharing your educator wisdom with us from over the seas this morning why thank you and thank you for having me it's been a pleasure <laughs> and look at us one one hour show right on the nose I wish you a wonderful weekend Aaron hopefully I'll speak to you really soon absolutely talk to you soon Take care of yourself. Bye, Aaron. Bye. Uh, And from me here on Teachers Talk Radio, thank you, everyone listening. Everyone here I can see on Podbean, everyone listening live on the website. Uh, Or if you're listening back, this was the Friday morning break with me, Poppy. Thank you to our guest, Aaron Burden, for waking up super early in uh, Virginia, America, to come and join us. And I wish you all a really beautiful, peaceful and happy weekend. See you soon. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.